up north one time. We were listening to the Stone's Let It Bleed album as it spun on the turntable and blasted out the speakers that were located in different parts of the cabin. It was just past noon on a Saturday in August, and someone had mentioned lunch, but no one had the wherewithal to do anything about it. We were gathered in the kitchen, living room, parlor area of the one-bedroom cabin that I rented from Lenore at her Goose Bay Lodge, an outfitter operation located on one of the many edges of the 110-mile-long island-dotted Lac Sewell in northwestern Ontario, Gold Pines at one end, Sioux Lookout at the other, and about a million and a half other worlds between those two very unlikely points, Goose Bay Lodge being one of them. It was mostly uh, a quiet-as-wind sort of place, unless, of course, the stereo was playing. And you needed to be really interested in coming there, otherwise you'd not have found your way. The Welcome to Goose Bay sign on the highway leaned back and the paint was faded and hardly legible. It was more of a marker for those of us who knew the place was there and needed or wanted to be there. You'd have to travel down a pothole dirt road, barely visible from the highway because of the thick brush on either side, and go about three-quarters of a mile in a dipsy-doodle sort of way before you'd get to the main lodge. Goose Bay wasn't a place that shouted, come on down. Now, the cabin I'd rented was down a couple of hundred yards from the main lodge, and it was surrounded by bush on three sides, with a really nice clear view of the deep, mysterious lake on the open side. The place had a small porch, and there was a hibachi on a rusted metal table out there. Barbecue was in your thinking. Now, inside the parlor, and sitting all over the furniture, was a collection of people who got along okay in a northern sort of way. In an overstuffed chair beneath a single pane glass window was Guy, a bricklayer from France. He was someone who found pretty much everything funny. He was also rarely fazed by anything, a que-sera-sera sort of fella. He wore hipster-type glasses, had a long ponytail with most of the top of his head with no hair at all. The look didn't work for everybody, but it worked for Guy. He defined a sort of northern working man, Parisian, cool. Work boots were untied, cement-splattered jeans, a checkered shirt. He held a mug of coffee in his hand and was grinning a foolish grin. He'd come to Canada from France because he'd fallen in love with a Canadian. It worked until it didn't work, and he ended up picking up stakes in Halifax and slowly worked his way up the Acadian districts along the Miramichi River of the New Brunswick. Then the taverns of the Gas Bay led to the scene on the Maine in Montreal, and he wound up, like so many of us did, in northern Ontario because of a bet. Zeke, a hippie contractor, was lying on the love seat, staring up at the ceiling, keeping time to the music by tapping his fingernail on his beer bottle. He was another long hair, lean and lanky, who was a boss at a family construction company that he owned and operated, mostly with his brother. I think his dad was an investor, maybe. My brother Mitch was a slender fellow, too, had a solid wire frame. He sat in a lawn chair opposite Guy, his long hair unbound, a smile on his face, a smile that suggested he was a million miles away. Darcy the dog, who appeared one day out of the bush, had made us his people. He lay on the rug in the middle of our circle. He was part a lot of things, but mostly Jack Russell. He was black and white with lots of spots, and one spot surrounded one of his eyes and gave him a sort of pirate look. He fit right in, had become a part of the deal, until he was stolen by a family of dog thieves from Michigan in the Winnebago. 
Someone saw them load Darcy into their rolling house after they'd done their fishing at Lenore's dock. No accounting for some people's kids. I wrote a song about Darcy. It was good people, and when anyone, and I mean anyone, came to the door or you met him on the trail, his whole being trembled in delight. The shaking started at his tail and went the length of his spine. The insane shaking would become hopping, then leaping, and then he'd run in tight circles like a maniac. He was quite a show. Gave a body pause, and the longer you knew Darcy, the longer those pauses were. I was lying on the floor by the sink. We were as high as kites, having smoked a couple of joints of some local hydroponic stinkweed, and were off in our own time zones, in our own area codes. I was reliving an experience that had happened the year before, on a July 1st, Canada Day. I was 19 years old and had been given a job of recreation director for this local town, municipality. So there I was, a barely formed human in a gig of responsibility. The feeling in the community was, well, why not him? One of the tasks of the rec department was to produce the July 1st Canada Day Parade. I mean, how hard can that be, I thought. You get a few locals together to duplicate maybe what they've done in the past, organize a few floats with a couple of companies, hire some clowns maybe, pick a route, and then just step back and watch it all happen. I was a fool. But I was in the honeymoon phase of it all and was kind of pumped. In my exuberance, I decided that a more elaborate parade was required than the previous ones. I aimed to up the size and scope of the event. To date, the parade had been a quick ringer around the plaza parking lot, then a slow drive down to the school and back. But my plan, oh yeah, my plan was much more far-reaching than that. I thought we'd just start the plaza like all the times before. Then we'd do a turn into the trailer park, the trailer court. Then we'd head out on the highway. Oh, yeah, traveling down past the English River Beach. Then across the single-lane hydro dam bridge and end up at the lower school of the hydro colony where they had a great big parking lot. Now, I figured the parade needed to include the entire community, you see, and that everyone would appreciate the effort made on their behalf. And it was winter when I started to think about all this stuff and uh, do the planning, planning that took me to each of the businesses in the community to ask them to make a float. I spoke to Reed Pulp and Paper. Uh, I spoke to some folks at the mine. I talked to the school about getting students involved. I even made a presentation to the municipality requesting the counselors figure out a way to get involved. I thought everyone was an adult had imaginations, had probably been in the parade before, that they'd be good to their word. But I was a fool. And really, at the end of the day, it was surprising that no one was killed during this actual parade. July 1st arrived. It was a really hot Sunday, not unlike the day of Let It Bleed in the cabin. Logging trucks weren't rolling, and traffic was pretty light up on the highway. I got to the plaza around 10.30, fully expecting to see the place buzzing with floats and clowns and such. There were a handful of cars and trucks parked very seriously in the parking lot. There were no floats, there were no clowns. I started to panic, and that anxiety only grew as we approached high noon. Around 11.30 a.m., two fire trucks showed up. Drivers asked about the floats, and I told them, well, they <laughs> must be on their way, right? And the fire people squinted, their expressions not so enthusiastic. 
A collection of kids on bikes had collected around the fire trucks, and I wondered if these might be the kids from the school. Zeke, uh, the aforementioned Zeke, and his brother, and Guy, aforementioned, arrived with a five-ton flatbed with a massive scaffolding unit reaching way up into the air. The structure looked pretty iffy, quite rickety, bolted to the, to the floor of the flatbed. And these guys were stoned. They were really high, and they were laughing their heads off. I was glad they'd shown up, but their float, such as it was, was extraordinary and not in a good way. A, a pickup came up behind Zeke's flatbed. It, it had a load of old fridges in the bed. So, what's going on? The man driving the pickup asked me. This is the July 1st parade gathering area, I said. Oh, yeah. Where exactly? Well, right here. More, uh, more floats and, and, and stuff. stuff's coming, but... Uh, uh, this is which, uh, what we got here so far. He squinted like the firefighters had squinted. Okay. What time do things get underway? Mm. <laughs> what time's it right now, do you know? He looked at his watch. Ten of twelve. Well, in, in ten minutes, I guess. Well, Jesus. Quite right. Well, Jesus. The firefighters came over at 12.05. Let's get this party rolling. If a call comes through, we'll have to peel off to answer it. Leave you to the parade. A crowd of very confused-looking people had formed in the plaza, wondering where the parade was at. One of the business owners squealed up in his new Pontiac. Yeah, sorry, Pete, he said. I didn't get around to putting anything together. Sorry about that. Hope this check helps you out. Good luck. And then he handed me a check for $15 and drove off. Fifteen bucks. A check. And so the parade, as it had formed, was now two fire trucks, Zeke's scaffolding thing, uh, 15 or 20 kids on bikes, and I asked the guy with the fridges if he'd like to be in the parade and allow me, as the parade marshal, to ride in the back of his truck with the fridges. He reluctantly agreed, wasn't too sure about it all, and we left the plaza with the citizens, still wondering what exactly was going on. Before we got to the school, a couple of cars had cut in front of the fridge truck with me in the back and had become unwittingly a part of the parade. We drove slowly down through the trailer court, and as we drove past the miners and loggers drinking beer in their driveways, their kids shooting BB guns at whiskey jacks, uh, they all stopped to check out what was going on. There was some booing and a fight broke out in one of the driveways, and I didn't know if it had anything to do with us or was just a regular day down in the court. It was at this time that the fire trucks uh, turned on their lights and sirens. It kind of shook everybody up, <laughs> and people started running alongside the parade, yelling obscenities. We don't need this kind of shit in our backyard, one guy yelled up at me. On our way out of the trailer court, we were under siege by some teens who were hucking rotten fruit and vegetables at us from the woods. They were having a real good time. And by the time we got to the highway, while well, the fire trucks were picking up speed, uh, so fast that the kids on the bikes had to scatter into the ditches to avoid being hit by Zeke and the scaffolding coming up behind, uh, I was clinging to a fridge as the speed got up to 60 miles per hour. My brother, who was watching from the beach, told me people were running to their cars thinking there was a fire. This was the fastest parade in the history of the world. But anyway, I missed all that of excitement as I was stuck up the highway with Zeke, who had had to stop his truck in order for Gee to climb up the scaffolding to remove a few levels so as not to strike the hydro wires. They were still laughing their heads off. The guy with the fridges told me he needed to get going, so I had to climb down and walk the rest of the parade route, getting to the empty parking lot of the lower school about half an hour later. Country Honk started to play on the stereo. 
and I was delivered back to the cabin. No one in the circle had moved, and nobody had said anything, as far as I could tell. Guy was still smiling at something. Zeke was continuing to keep time with his fingernail on the beer bottle. Mitch was staring up at the ceiling. Darcy was asleep in the crook in my arm. We were all lost in the haze, up inside our imaginations, in the wild woods by the wilder lake, bugs hitting the windows at full speed now and then. I realized my mouth felt like it was full of glue at one point, and my eyes had dried out. I was having trouble blinking. Oh, and I, I couldn't feel my legs either. I was on the border of dropping into a paranoiac episode of, of losing it in a way. If you know the song Country Honk, you'll also know that it has a country blues vibe and is a version of Honky Tonk Woman by the Stones. There are a couple of times during the song when a loud car horn blasts. Well, as I continued to sort myself out working to avoid paranoia, the honking came on the song. I thought it was honking from a real car out in front of the cabin, but who'd come to my cabin on a Saturday that wasn't invited? I cranked my head slowly toward the windows of the front door. I was startled into reality when I saw two older women standing there dressed in matching pastel pantsuits. They were smiling, waving at me, pointing at the door handle. What was this all about? No one else in the room was hip to the hallucination on the cabin porch. I surveyed the group. They were sitting with their mouths open, off somewhere still, not living in the present moment. I looked back at the door, hoping the woman, women were no longer standing there. But no, they were still smiling and waving. Then one of them, she reached for the doorknob and opened the door. Just the census, she said as she stepped into the room, her friend right behind her. Everyone came back from the stars, and Darcy started to bark and run in circles. The women kept smiling, kept coming into the cabin. We are just here to do the federal census. Hope you don't mind. Before I could say anything, they dropped big black binders on the kitchen counter. Are you the man of the house? One of them asked me. The lads in the story circle burst out laughing, one of them putting on an English accent and repeating the question, Are you the man of the house? They all got a real kick out of that. Thanks, lads. I got up off the floor and squinted at the women. Let it bleed continued to play at full tilt boogie. No let up there. Darcy was jumping up in the air in front of the woman now, and they appeared to find it amusing. This shouldn't take too long, one of them shouted. Now, what is your telephone number? What is your address of the dwelling and the postal code, including yourself? How many persons usually live at this address? Do you have children or anyone in joint custody? When they said the word joint, the three in the circle thought that was about the funniest thing as anything on earth at that exact moment. The women appeared oblivious, and my teeth started to chatter like I was freezing to death. I was clicking away like those cartoon skeletons that come back to life. I wasn't cold, but for some reason my teeth were chattering away like madmen. The women were totally cool about everything. They reminded me of my mother. Darcy had hopped up onto the counter and was licking their hands as they attempted to write down the information I was giving them, and we kept shouting at each other in a nice way in order to be heard. They never asked to have the music turned down, and in my state I never thought to turn it down either. There was a sort of normalcy to it all, albeit a bit of a loud normalcy. They weren't miffed that the three other louts in the room found everything funny and that I was stumbling to answer their questions. At one point, the woman, who had boldly stepped into the cabin first, shouted, We love young people! And then they plowed back into their census questions. Date of birth. Do you have children? 
they must have thought I answered yes to the children question because the next series of questions were all about him. Is your child in the Canadian military, regular forces, or primary reserve force? I didn't have the heart to turn back. And when they asked me if he, if my reservist child lived in Quebec with my ex-wife, I answered, may we? <laughs> how I got there and how I got through it all, I'll really never know. It was sort of a miracle. And before the women left, they both hugged me as Mick and the Stones belted out, you can't always get what you want. I walked them out to their vehicle. Darcy followed and hoisted a leg and peed on one of their tires. We hugged again and they smiled and waved as they backed the car up and turned around and drove off, never seeing them again. Over the years, I've wondered about that census and those two women and the scene at the cabin on Lac Sewell. Not sure lessons were learned. Maybe just another experience on the step along the trail of being here. It does make me smile to think that possibly somewhere down in Ottawa, in a file in the archives, it says that someone with my name, from some address in northern Ontario, recently divorced from somebody named Marie Hélène, was father to somebody named Ray Smith in the Canadian Reserves, who had been living in Quebec with his mother. Well, if that's true, I wish you well, Ray. And if the two women are still alive, or even if they're not, their good grace, not wanting to change what was going on, but participating anyway, is something I don't think I'll ever forget. <laughs>